are listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what's new and innovative in education. And in this episode, we share the Student Voices keynote from this year's INA Cole Symposium. Students from across the United States shared their stories on how they overcame opportunity gaps and beat the odds to succeed, and attendees said it was one of the most powerful sessions that they attended. Today, we're lucky enough to have one of those students visiting our podcast studio. This is Mohammed, who just moved to the U.S. four years ago from Kenya, and he graduated against all odds from high school. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mohammed. Thank you for having me. So I wanted to ask you a few questions before we play the audio from the symposium about your experience there. First, the group you were with at INA Cole, Student Voices, how did you get involved with them? One of my good friends, he's like my best friend, he visited me he visit one of my one of the like the best groups that we have here in Seattle at Highland High School. I have a group that I founded. It's called the International Rescue, mm-hmm. and it's a group of students that we come together every week to share our stories. When I was in high school, and cool. that's how he found me. Basically, his name is Andrew. Excellent, Andrew Brennan. Yeah. Yeah. So what's been the result for you um, being involved with the group? What, what have you learned from that? Being involved with Student Voice? Mm-hmm. I have learned to be a role model. I have learned to be a leader. I have learned to, my skills of being, being a leader, it has like, I have been more and more, I have wanted like reach to more and more, more and more, more goals. Yeah. I have wanted to explore big and try to get my voice heard to teach other people what is like and what society is going to, what society is going. Right. That's why. Nice. So tell me, what was it like sharing your story at the symposium? Because there were, you know, 3,000 some people there. <laughs> um, it's not the first time. No, it's not. So you're a pro at this, right? Yeah. yeah, it's not the first time. I have done it before. There was so much love. There was a lot of people. And what's amazing about it is... After that, there was a lot of people that they came to us and not me, to the, all, to the whole team that they were there, that panel that they were like, oh my God, you guys are just amazing. Yeah. You guys are just amazing sharing, sharing you, like it's hard to sit over there and share your story yeah. with somebody. You have to pay for it. You have to go therapy for it. Yeah. <laughs> so that we just sit over there and say our story. So a lot of people are just blown up for it and Twitter was blowing up. What do you think of the other student stories? Do, do any of them stick with you still? A lot of them. Yeah. Because a lot of them that I know, there were friends that were so close to each other, so it was amazing. What was something that you learned at this year's symposium, maybe about yourself or just in general about education in our country? Like, what did you pick up from being there? I have learned to push educators to do more and more and more and more because even though they're not getting paid enough, they should get paid same as the doctors. They should get paid same as a president because if you're the president of the United States, that teacher, she's the one that teaches you to get there. Right. They should get paid as the same, but I have learned to push them more and more and more and more and more. So my job is going to be just to speak up and tell them that they can do better and better and better. That is what I have learned from them. Oh, that's wonderful. So, Mohammed, what does your future look like right now? Where are you headed? Um, my future is going to school, basically yep. taking a year off from school, first of all. Right. Traveling, getting the voices, 
of students, immigrant students especially, and studying journalism, going back to school and getting the voices of people that they're just not being heard. The voices of people that they're just being tortured every day. Yeah. That's what I want to do. That's wonderful. All right, so uh, let's go ahead and listen to the audio from the symposium so people can hear your full story as well as the stories of the other students. So my name is Andrew Brennan, and I'm the National Field Director for Student Voice, an organization founded and run by students. Um, our mission is to empower students as partners to close the sadly pervasive empathy and equity gaps in our education system. Uh, for the past year, we have traveled the country holding roundtable discussions with students from every corner of America uh, to hear directly from the source uh, what's working and what's not working in their education system. Uh, today, we have with us uh, five students from around the country who are just going to share a little bit about their stories and their experiences in school. Um, we'll hear first from Gentry Fitch, who's a sophomore at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, studying history, originally from Nicholasville, Kentucky. We'll next hear from Jack Bradley, a junior at DuPont Manual High School in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, we'll then hear from Rachel Bradley, a sophomore at Kentucky Country Day School in Louisville, Kentucky. Next, from Amanda Walstead, a first year at Wellesley College, studying computer science and education policy, originally from Knox County, Kentucky. And finally, Muhammad Munir, a recent graduate from Highline High School in Seattle, Washington, originally from Kenya, uh, and currently taking a gap year. Um, so starting with you, Gentry, you grew up in a rural southern community and experienced all of the opportunities and challenges packed in that. Uh, you also spent this past summer teaching middle school students uh, in urban New Orleans as part of the Breakthrough Collaborative. Quite a change. <laughs> Could you share with us some of the similarities between those experiences, as well as some of the differences, particularly around learning in the classroom? Yeah, so um, first of all, growing up in, in rural Kentucky uh, was a really interesting experience. And I, I would say that the, the primary difference, especially after being introduced um, to the student voice team um, and just you know having a, a stronger network across Kentucky through some other means, um, is that you just weren't very connected with people. Uh, you, you didn't really um, see stories and experiences outside your own. Um, and it, it was kind of a, a homogenous experience. Um, but, uh, you know, the biggest difference that I, I felt between the two, um, or the biggest, I'm sorry, similarity, um, was that culture uh, between, between the two groups was super, super important. Um, my rural identity um, in Kentucky was just as important um, in who I was as a person and how you know, students saw themselves and identified themselves um, as my students in New Orleans uh, identified themselves. Um, and so one of my biggest takeaways in that is that um, you know, understanding very clearly the backgrounds um, and, and stories of each student uh, is incredibly important, especially as you're young and, and kind of being in middle school, forming your identity and kind of understanding who you are. Um, you know, when I would go out and spend recess with my students, um, I learned that you know some of them would go home to abusive parents. Um, I learned that some of them would go home to no food. But the Breakthrough Collaborative literally provided them breakfast and lunch, um, and that was the meals that they had over the summer. Um, and going back to Kentucky, I saw stories just like that the same. Um, and you know, being able to see those those students on the ground and hear them, but also watch their successes grow. I mean. In Kentucky, you would you would hear those stories, but watch students who 
um, experience those things, succeed, um, you know, really beyond their wildest dreams and, and, and same at Breakthrough. Um, so I guess in short, uh, just really understanding, you know, student stories and the impacts that they had um, on, on the learning experience, but also the, the culture of the school uh, was vastly important. That's a really fascinating story, Gentry, because I think a lot of people um, are identifying, you know, differences between uh, urban communities and rural communities, uh, you know, different communities across the country, really. But what you're saying is that there's a thread of similarity that goes through um, that's based on culture um, that, you know, people can really identify with each other on and should, and should do so. Um, Jack, you also have an education uh, experience that involves having a foot in both two different worlds, but in your case, it's uh, the world of disability and also the world of gifted. So, um, you know, some, some, some would use the term twice exceptional to describe you. Uh, tell us about what it's like to go to school for you. Like everything in my life, it's complicated. I spend half my days in accelerated classes and the other half in special ed. I didn't start talking until I was almost three, but it was worth the wait because my first word was wow. I didn't learn to read until I was almost ten. But two years later, I won an award for my ACT score in reading at 34. When I was 14, I actually got a perfect score in reading. But, but I had to have help writing this. Unfortunately, the ACT does not measure what I'm most proud of. Overcoming my fear of going up on the stage to receive the award. If I hadn't done that, I probably could not do this. I have autism, ADHD, and Tourette's, which make my life pretty challenging. Sometimes, it seems like people think I've consciously chosen to have a brain that is physically different from others. Nope, I do not have a designer brain. When it takes me long to finish a test, or when I need to get up and pace, believe me, that's not what I would have designed. Would you? I feel like a lot of the time I am on trial, that I have to prove that I need help. That's how it is within disabilities, which, by the way, 70% of all disabilities are. Mostly I was homeschooled because we couldn't find a school that wanted me or was a good fit. I did go to a school for kids with learning differences for third grade. At the end of the year, they said we needed to find a new school because I scored too high on standardized math tests. The funny part is, they had put me in a remedial math class because they couldn't read the story problems. It took several months and my mom pushing before they realized that not being able to read didn't mean I couldn't do the math. I've taken a lot of classes in many different schools and also online, including university courses. I've attended more camps, programs, and conferences than I can remember. At the moment, I'm in a public high school because I have to learn how to be in that kind of setting. It's okay, but not great. My teachers are really nice. They try hard and care a lot. But my general ed teachers have to teach to the AP and other tests, which makes for mostly boring classes. And my special ed teachers are not trained to teach what I really need or to help me with subjects subjects like Calc BC. I feel like a lot of my time in school is wasted. Instead of motivating or inspiring me, it just leaves me feeling exhausted. Homework would be mostly unnecessary if what we did in classes was exciting, and if those classes were organized by skill levels instead of grades, more like homeschooling actually. What if classes were as long or short as they needed to be instead of a fixed amount of time? What if, instead of taking tests, students created them? That would be so much more interesting and useful. Please don't listen to my story and think, oh, he's just an outlier. Because while that is true in some ways, it's not true when it comes to what is most important. I'm just like each of you when it comes to wanting friends, wanting to do interesting work, wanting to feel like I'm heard, and wanting to enjoy my life. 
Although I do not believe the file actually process, process is rigged, I do believe that Mary's uh, education system is. In two years, I'll be able to vote. I shouldn't have to wait until I'm 18 to be heard. The story that you shared, Jack, is so powerful because I think it underscores what a lot of people would say about the education system, which is that we need to figure out how to make it work for all students. You're listening to students at the 2016 INA Cole Symposium share their amazing stories around their journeys in education. This episode is sponsored by INA Cole, or the International Association for K-12 Online Learning, whose mission is to catalyze the transformation of K-12 education policy and practice to advance powerful, personalized, learner-centered experiences through competency-based, blended, and online learning. INA Cole is a nonprofit organization focusing on research, developing policy for student-centered education, education to ensure equity and access, developing quality standards for emerging learning models using online, blended, and competency-based education, and supporting the ongoing professional development of school and district leaders for new learning models. Visit their website at www.inacol.org and follow them on Twitter using the handle at N-A-C-O-L. Now back to the student voices from this year's symposium. Rachel, you're Jack's sister. Um, you probably experienced every kind of education in your short time in school, from homeschool to attending a private school. Uh, can you walk us through your educational journey and talk to us about when you felt like you were learning the best and the worst? Yeah. So I was mostly homeschooled up until about seventh grade. And when we were doing homeschool, um, we supplemented with going to a co- uh, cottage school part-time, a Waldorf school at the classical academy. And I think that um, being homeschooled led me to ha- have this, like, I can do it myself personality. In fact, I taught myself to read, to write, and to even type. Um, and I'm kind of the one in the family. If something's broken, I'll, I'll fix it, like the TV or something. And I just avoid instruction manuals altogether. Um, and so because of the I can do it myself personality, I learn best when education is related back to the real world and it's all hands-on. Um, I think in some ways homeschooling was a good fit for me in some ways not. The funny thing is we didn't use a lot of technology, but the things that I most remembered enjoying was the technology-based learning activities. Like uh, when I learned to type, I used a SpongeBob typing program. We also did a lot of online classes and participated in the K-12 curriculum. Around middle school, I really wanted to switch to a larger school um, because I felt I was missing the important social aspect of middle school and high school. And so in the middle of seventh grade, I switched to Kentucky Country Day, which is a private school. And this was my first time being in a school with more than 100 people in the entire school. and so being in a large school, even though it's, there's only about 300 people in the high school, it led me to see all the different types of learning that could happen. And so I've really found the good things that I've enjoyed and the not-so-good things. And uh, I figured out that project-oriented and interactive learning is really helpful for me. It makes things interesting, and it's easier to learn. And um, the word retain the information. Um, and then I figured out that lecture, lecture style is not as good because it's just the teacher talking about the subject and it's not as interesting and it's harder to retain information and it requires a lot of memorization, which is not as fun. Um, so some of the 
other things that were great was all the online things that my school does. We use Google Drive um, on campus, and um, something really new that I've experienced is a flipped classroom, and we're using that in math, and that's allowed me to, like two weeks ago to prepare for this conference, I went ahead and worked all the way through the rest of my math chapter so that um, I could be ready. Um, so KCD kind of triggered my brain into like full sling and I, I started to think about everything that I was being taught and I've always asked like why do I need to learn this? How is this going to be useful after high school such college? Why do we have to read to analyze? Why not read for enjoyment? Were books made to be read? And so as I said KCD made me think about all those things and it kind of led me to participate in student voice and so I figured out that the more the real world um, applications I can be shown in school, the happier I am with learning and the easier it is to retain information. Thank you, Rachel. Um, and Amanda, you attend Wellesley College in New England, and you know I I know your story, and I know that that did not just happen. Um, it required a lot of work for you. Uh, to move from where you were in southeastern Kentucky to where you are now. So talk to us a little bit about that journey, a little bit about um, how it happened, um, and talk to us also about uh, how you're making sure other students can help follow in your footsteps. Well, as a student from rural southeastern Kentucky, I experienced a lot of the things that are native to that area, the abuse, the poverty, those sort of issues. Um, and those things shaped how I viewed my education and how I viewed myself. And I didn't realize um, until I joined the student voice team that I could have a say in my education. And so after joining, I wrote an article, um, Poor Students Need More from Policymakers. And that led to a private college counselor, Jane Shropshire, offering to take me on for free. And she connected me with this program called QuestBridge for high-achieving, low-income students. And that program led me to apply to Wellesley and got me where I am. And now I'm an ambassador with QuestBridge. I'm able to mentor students and help them in their college transitions. And I, I think the important part of your journey is that, well, several. Um, first, that it took someone believing in you. Um, second, that it required... Um, that you adjusted for the things that were impacting your life outside of the classroom um, while trying to achieve inside the classroom. And I think the most inspiring part, though, is how um, you're supporting other students to follow in your footsteps. Uh, Mohammed, you just moved here from Kenya. You attend school in Washington. Um, uh, tell us about what it is like to... Um, move to a different continent, learn a different language, and all the while try to graduate high school. So I lived in Kenya, and I moved from Kenya basically right now for years. Um, in Kenya, the education is different. I didn't get I didn't get the chance to go to school. Basically, I just went to school for like two years, and I had to drop out. Had to work so hard to feed my family, but. When I came here, I came to realize that I have disability that I didn't even know. I had dyslexia, which um, is something that I'm still struggling with it. But it didn't it didn't stop me to do what I want. I had to go to three 
different high school. I had to go to three different schools for me to find myself in the right order. The same, the education that I wanted, basically, the education that I think will take me to where I was gonna be. My first high school, one of the principal was like, "No, you're not gonna make it here because." You're 18 and stuff like that, but I moved to Seattle into Foster High School, which in Seattle we have a program called an IEP, which if you have disability and stuff like that, they help you. So one of my teachers were like, no, we're not going to make you drop out. You have a chance. I didn't believe myself that I can graduate from high school. All of my teachers were like, you have a chance and you're going to graduate from high school. I graduated from high school and right now I'm one of the people that I'm pushing to get new programs in my school every single day because we have people that are arriving every day and they need, need, need that help. I think one of the things that you've spoken about so eloquently in the past, Mohammed, is how, you know, students will come from other countries the week prior in the middle of war zones and then trying to adjust to 11th grade math class and sit down um, to take a lecture for an hour, and sometimes that disconnect um, isn't easy. Um, but I think every student who walks into the school building does so with a life's worth of baggage. Um, they have experiences, traumas, memories, habits, disabilities, abilities, strengths, and weaknesses, and figuring out how to adjust for all of these things and how... Um, one creates, delivers, and evaluates educational programming can seem like an insurmountable challenge. But um, I hope today's conversation um, helps to see how, uh, helps to show how different students can come from different backgrounds and still get the kind of support um, that they need to be successful. And while it's certainly not easy all the time, um, it is profoundly important work. So, uh, Thank you to everyone for sharing your story, and uh, thank you for being part of Student Voice. Mohammed, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience that you didn't get a chance to share at the symposium, maybe about your story or just education in general, anything that you would like to say today? When they wake up in the morning, they should just put this thing on their mind that they're going to teach the leaders of tomorrow. Just, that's, that's it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mohammed. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we appreciate you taking the time to share your story with us and to our listeners. And I wish you the best of luck in the future. Thank you. Thanks to Andrew Brennan and all of the Student Voices participants for allowing us to share their stories from the iNACOL Symposium on today's podcast. You can learn more about iNACOL, view highlights from this year's symposium, and get a sneak peek at next year's conference on their website at www.inacol.org. We'll also have several more episodes coming out in the next few weeks that include conversations we had with ed leaders at the symposium, so stay tuned. Also, be sure to check out the Getting Smart podcast on iTunes, and while you're there, subscribe and rate us. For more on all things innovations and learning, check out our blog as well at gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart podcast, this is Kat, signing off.